You are listening to the One Hope Church Podcast. The following audio is from the weekly gatherings of One Hope Church in Orlando, Florida. We pray that you'll be encouraged and challenged as you listen. Well, good afternoon. I'm John Baxter. I'm an elder at our church. You know, I almost said the name of the church I used to pastor in St. Petersburg, Florida. That's a sign of old age, I, I suppose. We're going to continue to look at the book of Nehemiah. Our series has been about the God who restores. Of course, Nehemiah came back to the city of Jerusalem after the, the captivity. The, the, the Babylonians had carried away the people of Israel, 586 B.C., and he came back to restore the walls. But we've been saying all along that just as important as the, as the walls was a restoration of their heart. Last week, we looked at how they rediscovered the law of God, and they, and they read uh, the, uh, from, from God's Word. Today, we're going to look at the, uh, the practice of confession as the second step towards that restoration of the heart. But you know, but before we begin, uh, this is, I think, an important weekend in our country. It's our Veterans Day. I'm wondering, do we have any vets with us? I know some. Would you, would you all stand so that we could just honor you for a second? And thank you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I became a, <clears throat> a believer at the University of Florida, a school that has decided not to play football anymore, apparently. Unlike UCF, right, which had a glorious victory. But when I came to, to Christ, I was uh, just turned 18 through the ministry of Campus Crusade, now crew. And the thing that, that moved me towards Christ really wasn't so much a sense of, of my sinfulness. It was, it was a search for meaning and significance. I, I was really wondering, what's the, the purpose and meaning of my life? But I can remember there was a night about three months after I, I made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. That I was, it was in the evening, and I was uh, troubled, and I wandered to actually a, a chapel of one of the uh, university uh, churches near the, the campus. They used to leave their doors open. And I wandered in there and was just deeply, deeply troubled. And I, I pulled out a Bible from the pew, and it providentially, it, it fell open to Psalm 51. I had no clue what Psalm 51 was about. But it's the penitential psalm of, of King David after his uh, times of serious sin. And as I read that, that psalm, what I, what I realized, what was really troubling me, was this need for confession. That for 18 years I had lived my life uh, under my own power, my own steam, my own way. And just this accumulated sense of rebellion against God finally just became overwhelmingly conscious in my life. And reading the words of that psalm, which I I don't remember ever reading before, there was such a a sense really of relief, of this ability to, to say to God, I agree with you, I confess, I'm not righteous. I, I, I'm not uh, the person I hoped I would be. And even though that was a very difficult night, the result was actually joy. Now, I would imagine that almost all of you sitting here have had that same experience. 
just the experience that there's something incredibly difficult, but at the same time in, incredibly powerful about this act of confession. And now in, in Nehemiah, in the ninth chapter, we come to this very act. It's, I, I, we didn't plan it, but the, the call to worship this morning from Deuteronomy sets up this very chapter because it warns the people about how uh, they would have this tendency to fall into sin. And we see this type of historical confession that we're about to read in, in Nehemiah 9 several times in the Bible. Psalm 78 here in uh, uh, Nehemiah. In, in the book of Second Kings, as they're talking about why Israel was carried away by the Assyrians, it rehearses the same historical facts. We see Stephen doing the same thing in Acts 7, talking about why Israel is, is in the state it's in. So I want us, in a sense, to experience that same moment. So I'm going to ask Tracy if you would come, and we're going to read this ninth chapter. It's longer than usual. But I want us to just allow it, in a sense, to just roll over us and, and, and to hear what the people of Israel heard so that we might begin to respond the way they respond. So I'm just going to ask you if you would stand together as they stood in chapter 9 and read the, the text. Excellent. Nehemiah 9. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of, the, of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. On the stairs of the Levites stood Yeshua, Bani, Cadmiel, Shebaniah, Bunai, Sherebiah, Bani, and Canaanai. And they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Cadmiel, Bani, Hashabneah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethahiah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, and the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous." And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers and you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. 
and you divided the sea before them, so that they went through in the midst of the sea on dry land. And you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud you led them in the day, and by a pillar of fire in the night, to light to them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them, to go in to possess the land that you had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them, even when they had made for themselves a golden calf, and said, This is your God who brought you up out of Egypt, and had committed great blasphemies. You and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. And you gave them kingdoms, and peoples, and allotted to them every corner. So they took possession of the land of Sihon, king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You multiplied their children as the stars of heaven, and you brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hand with their kings and the peoples of the land, that they might do with them as they would. And they captured fortified cities and a rich land and took possession of houses full of all good things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. And they committed great blasphemies. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the enemies who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil again before you 
and you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies, so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your great mercies. And you warned them in order to turn them back to your law. Yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules, which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not obey. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give ear. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Now therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardship seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people, since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. Our kings and our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them. Even in their own kingdom and amid your great goodness that you gave them and in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts, Behold, we are slaves, and its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. Thank you, Tracy. You may be seated. Could we flip back to the the slide right before this one? Because this is the point, that confession is the, is the pathway to restoration. I believe it was C.S. Lewis in one of his books said, sometimes the fastest way to your goal is to turn around, is to go back the way you had come. And that's exactly what confession does. If we've moved away from God and we're traveling away from him, the fastest way to get back to God is to, is to turn around, is to admit that we're on the wrong track that we have sinned against him. Go ahead up to the essence of confession. One more, thank you. So this is really what the essence of confession is. What we just heard in that reading, it's it's the end of self-justification. The people said, in all that has happened to us, you have remained righteous. God has remained righteous. You, God, have acted faithfully while we acted wickedly. I don't know, but there's something incredibly liberating when we, when we stop this, this task of trying to, to justify ourselves when we're wrong. We're finally able to say to God, you're righteous. You're the one who is good. 
we no longer have to, in a sense, try to prove that our actions are good, especially when we know that, that they're wrong. And confession is, is this intentional act of giving up that task of trying to justify ourselves before God, trying to justify ourselves before others. And it's an incredibly freeing result. I don't, I, I don't have to worry anymore about wh- what I look like before you. I don't, have to, I don't have to try to pretend that I'm something I'm not. Confession allows me to depend upon God, to release, in a sense, this sin to God. And that's what confession affirms in the next slide. It, it, it's, first of all, affirming the goodness of God. Part of the reason for this chapter in Nehemiah and other places is that people asking, the Jews were asking, where's God in all this? We've we've endured all this trouble at the hands of the Assyrians and the Babylonians and now the Persians. Has God failed to show up? And the answer is no, God is good. The reason that we're in this time of distress is because we acted unfaithfully. So confession, first of all, affirms that, that God is good, that he's righteous, that he's wise. It also affirms our deepest need since the, 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 the moment of the fall. We've been unable to attain our own righteousness. This is what we call the, the, the doctrine of depravity. At, a, at its most basic level, our hearts are in rebellion against God. And confession admits that. Our greatest need is is to be restored by God. Confession, it it affirms God's grace. There would be no point in confessing our sins before God if we didn't believe that God wanted to forgive us and to restore us. And we just heard again and again in that that passage, I, I love the way that Tracy emphasized that, nevertheless, we did this, and nevertheless, God continues to be to be gracious and merciful. God wants to restore us. And confession affirms Christ's solution. It points us ultimately to the gospel because there's the, the, the Old Testament rituals. Well, just wait a second. Is he okay? The Old Testament rituals of, of, of sacrifice, of the temple worship, were not in themselves sufficient. The, the very act of confession affirms that there is a remedy. There is a sufficiency in what Christ has done. And so the reason we, we confess our sins is because we believe that Jesus, through his death on the crosses, has the power to forgive, the, the, the power to declare us righteous, and the power to restore us into fellowship. So confession is, is affirming all of that, and then be, as we affirm that, it enables a number of things. In the next slide. Confession enables within us an openness to the work of the Spirit. As, as, as long as we are tending to, to justify ourselves before God and before others, we're, we're just simply closed off to the work of the Spirit, the sanctifying work that God wants to do. But when we're willing to admit to Him our, our sinfulness, our great need, it, it unlocks that door. So it becomes a, a pathway to, red, uh, to restoration and to change. So these, these are, these are the, the, uh, the, the spiritual disciplines, the spiritual patterns 
that will allow us to be continually opening the door to God's uh, restoration and spirit. The, these acts of, of fasting. And uh, we, we had a day of fasting not long ago for the church. This, this sense of remorse over sin and, and understanding that, that the sin is not only uh, hurting others, it's, it's destroying me. It's, it's, it's just a dysfunction within my very heart and soul, and it's alienating me from God. And once we realize those things, it should bring a sense of remorse. It should bring a, a sense of desire to be different, to change. And so uh, confession, these are actions of repentance. They pave the way for experiencing forgiveness and restoration. They, they really are necessary disciplines of, of the Christian life. And we see it, as we said before, running throughout the Bible, this theme of confession as the ability to stop moving away from God and to turn and to begin to move back towards God. There's no, there's no substitute for them. There are things that, that need to be done regularly in our life. And then confession enables really faith. Confession is an act of faith. Faith is never just simply a mental ascent. There's always actions that we do with our bodies that express our belief in God. And confession frees us from any conceit concerning our own righteousness. And it generates a dependence upon the saving work of Christ. That's the good work of confession. It's not just simply saying, I'm sorry for sin. Of course, there's a sense of remorse for sin. But even more importantly, it's affirming what God has done with my sin. And it's affirming that God desires to restore and to have fellowship through the saving work of Jesus Christ. It's, it's just an incredibly positive and powerful act of faith. Now, in this chapter, we saw that, that the people were confessing. And, and I just want to talk very briefly about that in the next slide, that confession can be for the, the people of God. There it was for the nation of Israel in Nehemiah 9. It can be for the, the church, God's people, now in the New Testament as well. But I don't think the people of God should just be sort of willy-nilly confessing uh, whenever they feel like it. But it's, it's when the church has participated or, or acquiesced in something in a sin that's damaging to God, his reputation, or to others in, in society. Right now we have a number of, of, of churches, sadly, in our land who, who are even promoting or at least acquiescing in this idea that the unborn aren't, are not worthy of protection. The only way for those churches to come back and into fellowship with God and to God's grace is for them to confess, to repent, to turn from that. They've publicly identified themselves with that. And that's the second thing. When a particular sin has become identified with the church, we saw sadly, uh, in not only the United States, but particularly in Europe, how the Roman Catholic Church had become identified with abuse of, of children, especially young boys. And even though most priests had never been involved in that, there was still a sense in which the Catholic Church needed to publicly say this is wrong. And we've allowed this to, to happen. And we, we repent, we confess of that. And then I think there's a need for public repentance from the church when it hinders fellowship with other believers. We saw that not that long ago when uh, our, our country was, was plunged into racial difficulty and hatred at the death of George Floyd. And 
One Hope Church uh, reached out, and I don't know if you remember, but we had those internet uh, gatherings uh, with uh, African-American church and, and pastor. And there's a sense that when the church is hindered by past sins and its fellowship, that we need to say, no, what, what happened was wrong. And the part that we played in it was wrong. So there is a time when the, when the people of God need to publicly recant and, and repent and to confess. But normally, our, our repentance has to do with each of us individually. And so repentance is really for each of us as well. And that's the next slide. Here's an incredible verse from the Psalms that David writes, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For night and day your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. He says, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Sin that we carry unconfessed, it, it eats away at us. It destroys us from the inside out. It's just a heavy, heavy burden to carry. And David found that when he was willing to, to acknowledge his, sin, his individual sin before God and confess it, that the, that the joy of the Lord, the presence of the Lord, was restored to him. This, this is a, a, a discipline that should simply just be part of our everyday life, uh, day by day, as God reveals sin in our lives. We, we don't know the, the depths and the vastness of the ways that we've, we've offended God and others. And I actually, I don't want to know all that depth. It would just simply be, be crushing. But when God's Spirit reveals to us that something is hindering our fellowship with Him, that something is displeasing to Him, then we need to act upon it. We need to confess it, to be remorseful about it to repent and turn from it. So there's a sense in which confessing can be for the, the people of God, for the church. There's certainly a sense in which daily we need to be confessing our sins. But the last thing I wanted to look at is how confession is, is, should be part of the very worship of God. Look at this last slide. It should be a regular part of worship. I grew up in the Episcopal Church. And so the, uh, the, the service of morning prayer was simply part of my life. And one of the things that I, I, I think was valuable for that was uh, every Sunday there was a time of, of, of confession by the church. It was simply seen as, as part of our worship. The application for a message on confession has to be confession. <laughs> There's really no other application. So what we're going to do today, the, the application is really during our time as we, as we approach the Lord's table. And that's a fitting place for us to, to consider if we, if we need to respond to God and to confess. And as we move towards the Lord's table that, that Justin's going to lead us in, I want to pray over us this prayer from the Episcopal prayer book, prayer that I, I prayed every Sunday as, as a boy growing up. But I think it's a wonderful uh, introduction to the Lord's table for this morning. So I'm going to, to pray it. But I'd like for you to, to, to read it uh, silently, but keep your eyes open and read the prayer. And I invite you to make it your own if, if this is how the Lord leads as we move into our time of communion. Let's pray. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. 
We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare thou those, O God, who confess their faults. Restore thou those who are penitent, according to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O merciful Father, most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the One Hope Church podcast. We encourage you to share what you've heard in conversation with family, friends, classmates, and coworkers. To connect with us or learn more, visit wehaveonehope.com.